0: As you're praying for Greg Graffitt this week, please pray that he get his visa. There's certainly uh, lots of uncertainty when you're dealing with the Brazilian government. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to get that this week and they will accept the paperwork that he has. So that's a, a major step for him this week as he goes to Miami to get that. In Judges chapter 14, Judges 14, then Samson went down to Timnah And saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives and among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. For she looks good to me. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah. You can organize this chapter around the trips that Samson took. And uh, this one was what I might call his attraction trip. It's the trip where he went down to be with uh, this woman in Timnah. Samson, or when he went to see her, Samson was from the tribe of Dan, and Dan was right on the edge of the Philistine territory. Now, God had uh, raised up Samson to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. But what Samson ends up doing is falling in love with this Philistine woman. The very nation that was enslaving his people and the people that he was supposed to be delivering the Israelites from. And the text emphasizes the fact she's a Philistine. Three or four times in these three or four verses, it says she's a Philistine woman. And even his parents say, she's a Philistine. Can't you find any of the the, the women of our people that you could be attracted to? But whenever you, in Samson's life, combine the two words, saw and woman, there's trouble. That's kind of his uh, thing. I saw a woman. And uh, when his parents say, well, couldn't you find one of the women of the Israelites? He says, she looks good to me. Get her for me. She's the one I want. I like looking at her. He's never deep in, in what uh, his concerns are. He, he ignored the objection of his parents. And, and he wanted this woman. Now notice verse 4. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. God has an amazing ability. To work everything out so that his purpose is fulfilled. Even using people like Samson. Who was not concerned about the will of the Lord in this. God uses this as a means of fulfilling his will without Samson ever intending it that way. Left to themselves, the Israelites would have been content to just coexist with the Philistines as their masters. But God had other plans. He was seeking to produce a rivalry and get the Israelites to fight off the Philistines. God always uses his ability to manage the affairs of mankind, even though he's given man free will. In 1 Kings twelve fifteen. Whenever Rehoboam listened to the young men and not to the wiser, older men and caused the division of the kingdom in First Kings twelve fifteen, So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word. Rehoboam wasn't concerned about the will of the Lord. But God used Rehoboam's free will and his rebellious choices to accomplish his purpose. God always does that. God is able in his wisdom to control events in such a way that without violating man's free will, his will is accomplished. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. So God can use even wicked men and their evil choices to accomplish his will. So there's the attraction trip. Now look at verse 5, Judges 14, 5. Then Samson went down to Timnah. With his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timden, behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a kid, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or mother what he'd done. So he went down and talked to the woman and she looked good to Samson. When he returned later to take her. He turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on, eating as he went. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some of them some to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Now, there are several things in this planning trip that disturb you. The first thing is, I wonder why... Verse 5, he was in the vineyards of Timnah. You remember that Samson is a lifetime Nazarite? The Nazarites are not to touch grapes or grape products. What's he doing in a vineyard? And then this lion comes roaring toward him, charging him, I guess. And with his bare hands, he kills the lion. Samson has superhuman strength given him by God on his way back through in the carcass of this lion bees have invaded and they've got honey and so Samson has contact with the body of this dead animal probably a violation of the Nazarite vow and he eats unclean food, honey that's been found in the body of a dead animal something none of the Israelites will do and then gives it to his parents Then verse 10, we see the feast trip. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. And it came about when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. So either he gives it one to each of them or each of them give a change of clothes to him. And they said to him, propound your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may tell us the riddle lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me, and you do not love me. You propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father and mother, so should I tell you. However, she wept before him seven days while their feast lasted. And it came about on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said it. Said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you'd not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Samson goes down and he makes this feast. You know, kind of, uh, I don't know, what would you say, uh, kind of the uh, before. Uh, wedding feast, there's a, there's a word for that, I forget what it is. But uh, where the groom's family provides the feast for the wedding party. It's kind of that idea uh, for us. And uh, But the word for feast there is a word that, that signifies a party in which there's drinking. That bothers you too, doesn't it? Here he's supposed to be a lifetime Nazarite, Nazarite not supposed to touch the product of the grave, And he's making this drinking feast for his buddies. He shouldn't even have been there. Much less sponsor it. So he's pretty much systematically ignoring the rules of the Nazarite vow. They get thirty groomsmen, yes, from the Philistines. I don't know, maybe thirty bodyguards to try to keep him from hurting them. But at any rate, he's got thirty Philistines in the wedding party, and he comes up with this bright idea. He's going to tell them a riddle. If they can solve it, he gives each of them a change of clothes. If they can't solve it, each of them gives him a change of clothes. Well, the riddle was something they couldn't know. It had to do with him having killed the lion and then found finding the honey in it. He says, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And unless you've been there and seen him do that, there's no way to answer that riddle. And nobody had seen it, and he hadn't told a single soul. He gives them a week to answer. They realize they're not getting the job done, so they tell His fiance, you find out the answer to the riddle, or we burn you and your father's house down. We don't want to give changes of clothes to Samson. So she starts working on it. Starts whining, oh, you don't really love me. If you love me, you tell me. Well, he said, I haven't even told my parents. Why would I tell you? But she keeps after him. By the seventh day, she's just whining and complaining and, and crying so much and claiming he didn't love her. But he finally tells her and she promptly tells them and they come and tell him. And he says, well, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have found out my riddle. He certainly understands what was going on there. You know, he, he he's really down on her, obviously. And, uh, you know, speaking disparagingly of her and, and really frustrated with this. But what was the problem? It seems to me that the problem is the Samson that's got strength enough to conquer a lion can't conquer the tears of a woman. You know, he's willing to just give in to his fiance because she's crying and upset. And now he's mad at her because she told them and they told him. And then we have the vengeance trip. Verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of them and took their spoil and gave the changes of clothes to those who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his friend. So he uh, sort of comes up with his own way to provide the 30 changes of clothes. He kills 30 Philistines, takes the clothes off their back. Those are the clothes he gives. And he goes uh, back to his father's house angry and upset, and uh, Samson's fiance was given to one of the groomsmen. Clearly, Samson's supposed father-in-law thinks that he wouldn't want her anymore. Now, there's a number of points that we could make out of this story, and I really just want to focus on one thing this morning. We'll have several applications from that one thing. But there's some really important lessons in this that I'd like for us to think about. I want us to go back to the first verse. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman. In verse 2, he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman. And when they say, don't you have a woman from the Israelites? He says, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Look also at chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. The key to Samson's life is that he saw women. Now, think, first of all, how appearance should not be the key to relationships. We live in a beauty-crazed culture. Everything is based on looking good. I mean, man, the cosmetic aisles of Walmart are full of zillions of products to try to get us looking better. We have beauty contests, and we talk about you know physical beauty a lot that is not what's important think about first peter 3 that talks about how what ought to be beautified is the inner person not the exterior there's some physically pretty women with very ugly character and attitude if what will really we focus on, is the physical appearance, either in ourselves or in others, we're missing it. Some of you aren't married, and we'll get married perhaps one day. Is the main thing you're going to look for is somebody that looks good to you? That's what Samson was basically, she looks good to me, get her for me. There's something a whole lot more important than whether or not somebody looks good to us. It's a funny thing how beauty is anyway. It all depends on how you look at it. Yeah, I'm amazed at the difference between the U.S. and Brazil about that. You know, in several ways. For one thing, what are all the American women doing? Don't you go to the, people go to the tanning booths and so we try to get darker. You know what the Brazilian women try to do? They try to get lighter. (laughs) They they try to get their skin bleached out more. American men, or at least women think American men, are looking for the very, very slender woman. Brazilian men are not. They're more impressed with, with a woman that, that is a, a fuller figure. Uh, that's really weird to us. I mean, we've been ingrained that pretty is skinny. A Brazilian man, generally speaking, Brazilian women would not see it that way. Now, what that tells me is it all depends on how you look at it. If you've, you know, been, uh, by your culture, designed to think, the pretty woman is the darker woman. Well, then you're going to think that, but now if you, by your culture of thought, well, the pretty woman is the light woman. It all depends on on your frame of prayer. It's not important. It's not substantial. That should not be the main focus. When we evaluate people, we shouldn't evaluate them mostly on their looks. But I want to come to a second thought about Samson seeing a woman. And that is... God is very strong about how we must not lust after women in our heart. I think it's interesting that Samson was ultimately blinded. He had his eyes put out because he was misusing his eyes. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29, Jesus says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Get your eye out. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus said that the verse after he said this, Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. God condemns men for looking at women and lusting after them and says, you'd be better off getting your eye plucked out. Samson had his plucked out involuntarily because he was misusing them. I suspect he was lusting after these women from the way we look at this. In chapter 16, he did go into a prostitute that he saw. Job 31. one. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman. And he means not to look lustfully upon a woman. There's a number of passages that condemn sensuality and, and, and lustful thinking. And that is such a problem, probably for men and women both, but I want to focus on it more for men. We've got to make up our mind, we're not going to look. At women in that way, Women we're not married to. We control what our mind focuses on. We're in charge of what we allow ourselves to think about. I understand a thought can pass through our mind involuntarily. But we control whether that thought stays there or not. And we control what we feed our minds on. If we start looking at certain images on the internet, watching certain TV shows and movies, having certain pictures, looking at certain people, and we feed that kind of garbage into our mind, it's not at all surprising if our mind begins to think about lustful kinds of things. We've got to stop it. We've got to pluck that eye out. We may have to throw our TV sets away, or we may have to unhook from the internet, or we may have to avoid certain aisles at the grocery store, or whatever we have to do, to get rid of the things that feed lustful thoughts into our mind. We cannot feed garbage into our mind and expect to control it. But I want to make one further point here. What I'm about to say is not a justification to men. ...for thinking lustfully. men, we've got to control our thoughts. Period. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... ...it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck... ...and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea... Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. I'd like to talk to women about being a stumbling block to men. I talk to a lot of men about their spiritual lives, about the things they struggle with spiritually, young and old. And... Good, serious-minded, spiritually-minded men, at least many of the ones that I talk to, struggle when they see women who are dressed scantily. I'm not sure women always understand that. I'm persuaded that some women I see dressed in certain ways surely aren't intending to create lustful thoughts in the hearts of others. But I have talked to man after man after man, man, including many Christians in this congregation that struggle even with some of the sisters in this congregation and what they wear. They usually don't tell me who. It's a really bad thing if you're around a bunch of Christians where you would hope that you wouldn't have the battle of seeing too much skin and yet you've got to avoid looking or it's going to tempt you to lust. It's a really important thing women that we be that you be really careful about what you wear so that Men are not tempted. They're not caused to stumble because what they're seeing is an enticement to them. There are probably some places that many men just shouldn't go. You know, it's probably not a good idea for most men to go to the beach if there's anybody else there. Or go to the swimming pool if there's anybody else there. Women at least. You know, it may not be a very good idea for a man to go to, to the theme park or maybe even to Walmart on a warm day. Because it's tough for men to always be looking at the ceiling or the floor. But especially when, when Christians are together, you know, it would be nice to be in a situation where we could look at each other and not be tempted to think lustfully. That's no justification for a man thinking those thoughts. When we glance at a woman and we realize that she's dressed in a way that provokes wrong thoughts, we've just got to look away and take our mind away. But it's important for women to be respectful and, and uh, helpful to men in that. It's not helpful when you address in such a way... That, that good Christian men who are looking at you are, are caused to stumble. And I've just talked to so many over the last few years that I think that warning is appropriate. And I'd just like for you to think about it. Reconsider the kinds of things you wear, the kinds of places you go, kinds of things you do. Talk to your husband. Talk to a strong Christian man. You know, sometimes, as I said, I think women don't intend that. They may never have thought about what a lot of men would think when they see us. I want to mention a couple of other things rather quickly about the idea of Samson following what he saw. Back in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eye. And in Judges 21 and verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I think it's kind of interesting. What Samson did following what he saw was what the whole nation ended up doing. They did what was right in their eyes. They followed their own sight and their own impulse. We can't do that. We can't allow what we see, what we feel, what we think to rule us. We've got to allow God to be the authority. By contrast to Samson and the Israelites who let what they saw govern them. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. This is a messianic passage. It's talking about what Jesus would be like. Isaiah eleven three, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Jesus, our greatest model, he wouldn't judge by what he saw. He would judge righteously and fairly and justly. He'd have insight. You know, what we see, can deceive. see? Appearances deceived. Jesus would not be deceived by appearances and we should not allow what we see to govern us. That's the way Samson was. His whole life revolved around, I saw a woman. Now, let's not let ours do that. Men, let's be careful what we see and not allow our mind to dwell on things we should not. And ladies, be careful what you wear and how you act so that you don't create don't, you tr- don't trip up a man who's struggling with controlling his thoughts. And let's all of us look to the Lord and be governed by him and his will. And not by our feelings or by what we see. If you need to come to the Lord this morning, we encourage you to do that while we stand